Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. The first story at the top of antiwar.com today. Progressive Democrats in the House retract letter backing diplomacy. So these progressive Democrats that sent a letter to President Biden, which I discussed yesterday, that called for talks with Russia have caved and they've retracted the letter. Um, You know, this is really just it really goes to show, I mean, the sorry state of affairs that we're in and how there is just absolutely no room to even call for diplomacy when we're facing such a high risk of nuclear war. So this letter, it was signed by 30 lawmakers in the House, members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and it was led by the chair of that caucus, Representative Pramila Jayapal. Uh, she's a Democrat from Washington. And in a statement, she said that the letter was drafted several months ago and blamed its release on her staff. So she threw her staff under the bus here and tried to act like she did not approve this letter uh, being released, being sent to President Biden, which it was on Monday. She said, quote, the Congressional Progressive Caucus hereby withdraws its recent letter to the White House regarding Ukraine. The letter was drafted several months ago, but unfortunately was released was released by staff without vetting. As chair of the caucus, I accept responsibility for this. End quote. So I mean, she's saying that she accepts responsibility, but she's also blaming it on her staff. And a source familiar with the matter contradicted her statement in comments to Politico, saying that the letter's release was personally signed off by Jayapel. And the letter was initially drafted in June, and some signatories publicly said that they would not have endorsed it today. Uh, Rep. Sarah Jacobs, she's a Democrat from California, she said that she signed the letter on June 30th, but a lot has changed since then and that she would not sign it today. She said, quote, we have to continue supporting Ukraine economically and militarily to give them the leverage they need to end this war, end quote. So the letter was not, you know, there's a lot wrong with the letter. They said in it that they supported the Biden administration's policy, which is shipping tens of billions of dollars in weapons to Ukraine. But they did say that due to the risk of nuclear war and what they called catastrophic escalation, that diplomacy had to be pursued. And and they offered some things that should happen, like direct talks with Russia, to work out a framework for a ceasefire, which they said could include sanctions relief. But, you know, they just have totally caved to this pressure. There's, of course, there's been a lot of backlash from the war hawks in the U.S. and the Ukrainians. And Jaya Pill, then she goes on to say, I, if you remember, if you listened yesterday, I said, oh, this is a good sign, even though the letter wasn't perfect. Hopefully, some of the Republicans that are against this could you know they could work across the aisle well no that was stupid and naive of me to say because jaya bill is saying that it was retracted because it was being conflated with comments made by house minority leader kevin mccarthy he's a republican from california and he said recently that a republican controlled house wouldn't be willing to write a blank check for ukraine so jaya pill said quote Because of the timing, our message is being conflated by some 
as being equivalent to the recent statement by Republican leader McCarthy threatening an end to aid if Republicans take over, end quote. So now I wish he threatened an end to aid, but that's not really what he said. He said they're not really willing to write a blank check, but McCarthy himself has been very um, hawkish and supportive of sending all this these money and weapons to Ukraine. Um, but you know, hopefully, uh, something does change if, if the Republic, if, if the Republicans take over, um, or even if they don't, um, I mean, I think it's, I haven't been paying too much attention to the polls, but I would just guess that they probably will because of people aren't happy with the Biden administration. Um, but Jaya Pill pointed out that there has been no, no opposition to the Biden administration's Ukraine policy from Democrats in Congress. She said that Democrats quote, have strongly and unanimously supported and voted for every package of military, strategic, and economic assistance to the Ukrainian people, end quote. Jayapil said that the war in Ukraine will only end with, a, with diplomacy after a Ukrainian victory. So she's saying there must be a Ukrainian victory, but according to the Ukrainian government, Victory means driving Russia out of the territories it has captured since February 24th and all of the Donbass and Crimea. So that's a pretty big goal that they have, and we'll get more into that in the next story. I think it'll be the next story. So, you know, this the Biden administration, just to recap, no sign that they're seeking diplomacy, um, despite Biden's recent warning that the world is facing the highest risk of nuclear Armageddon than at any time since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. So, man, I mean, we're just in such a bad situation here that even just this timid attempt at calling for diplomacy has has been reversed, totally reversed. I mean, not even, you know, she issued like a statement clarifying it on, on Monday, but it kind of just reiterated that they support arming Ukraine. But this is just completely pulling this letter and uh, blaming it on her staff. I mean, it's really ah, just unbelievable, just so pathetic. Um, and uh, I mean, I hope this wakes people up to just see that that don't get how, how bad things are right now. That Just the fact that this, this happened, maybe it'll open some eyes. Um, and we know that the Washington Post reported earlier this month that U.S. officials have ruled out nudging or pushing Ukraine to the negotiating table, even though they don't think Ukraine can win the war outright. And in uh, an earlier statement, this was one that she issued trying to clarify the letter before retracting it. Jayapel said that the Congressional Progressive Caucus supports the administration's policy of not negotiating with Russia about Ukraine without Ukraine. So they they basically... I've just taken everything somewhat decent that they said back. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at. I shouldn't uh, get my hopes up about anything anymore. <laughs> All right, the next one. Uh, Nancy Pelosi calls for a Ukrainian victory at Crimea Forum. So House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday spoke at the first Parliamentary Summit of the International Crimea Platform, a forum that was set up to discuss expelling Russia from the Crimean Peninsula, which Russia has controlled since 2014. So this event took place in Croatia on Tuesday. And in her speech, Pelosi said the U.S. will support Ukraine until a Ukrainian victory is won. And again, for Ukraine, victory means expelling Russia from Crimea, a scenario that Russia could consider an existential threat. 
to its existence, giving it the pretext to use nuclear weapons under its military doctrine. So that's what Ukraine, you know, they have really reiterated a lot that they are saying they want to drive Russia out of Crimea, which to me, I think is an unrealistic goal. Russia has that major naval base there. They're never going to give it up. And Putin and other Russian officials have said, you know, if Russia's territorial integrity is threatened, uh, they could potentially use nuclear weapons. So Ukraine's first deputy minister of foreign affairs said that Pelosi's participation in the summit means that U.S. support, that the U.S. supports Ukraine's goal of driving Russia out of Crimea. She's saying, you know, this makes it official. She said, quote, her participation is a direct confirmation that the issue of deoccupation of Crimea is high on the agenda in Washington. With such support, the return of Crimea is closer than ever, end quote. So Russia took Crimea in 2014 after the U.S.-backed ousting of former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. Residents of Crimea voted overwhelmingly to join the Russian Federation. And while the U.S. and its allies dispute the results of the referendum, plenty of polls conducted since 2014 show that Crimeans are happy with the change. People dispute, I forget what the number was, it was something like 97% of people voted to join Russia, they said. Uh, but whatever, it doesn't really matter that number so much because p- polling after and before uh, showed that people in Crimea wanted to join Russia and are happy that they have. So you know, Ukraine wants to take over a peninsula where that people, full of people that don't want to uh, be part of their country, it seems like. And in her speech, Pelosi also boasted that Congress has authorized over $67 billion in Ukraine aid and said more is coming. She said more will be on the way when Congress passes an omnibus funding bill this fall. So this fall, uh, it's fall right now. And NBC News reported last week that Republicans and Democrats in Congress are considering passing a new massive aid package for Ukraine that would likely be attached to an omnibus spending bill. So it seems like Pelosi is kind of confirming that that's the plan here. And the Ukraine aid is expected to be worth roughly $50 billion. That was the number in this NBC News report that they threw out there because they want to pass it for an entire year. They want an entire year's worth. And I could see it even being higher than that number. And that would bring, if it was $50 billion, total U.S. spending on the war to over $115 billion. Whew, man. All right. Um, so the next one. Uh, The Pope appeals to avert a nuclear war. So Pope Francis on Tuesday, he compared the current world situation to the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago uh, when he led leaders of world religions in a peace appeal to politicians to avert the threat of nuclear war over Ukraine. Um, In his address to several thousand people delivered after various religious groups prayed separately, Francis decried today's bleak scenario referring to the possibility of the use of nuclear weapons in ukraine francis said quote today in fact something we dreaded and hoped never to hear of again is threatened outright the use of atomic weapons which even after hiroshima and nagasaki continued wrongly to be produced and tested end quote Uh, He recalled how on October 25th, 1962, at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, Pope John XXIII delivered a radio message appealing to leaders of the time to bring the world back from the brink. 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's been calling for de-escalation and talks, you know, throughout the war and warning against nuclear war. And, you know, it's just another example of a world leader saying that we're at a, you know, we're back where we were back in 1962. Um, and it just shows how dangerous the state of things is. Um, so because of that, uh, you know, alternative media like antiwar.com is more important than possibly it's ever been. And it is our fundraiser at antiwar.com. And we have a great endorsement from Roger Waters and not just an endorsement. He put up $20,000 for matching funds and we need your help. And I want to just read his letter that he wrote for us. Um, I might not read. I'll read a bit of it. But so this is Roger Waters letter. Today, we are standing at the edge of a precipice, staring into the abyss. The end of all life on Earth is a very real possibility. The reins of power have been purchased by the oligarchs and ideologues, and they are hell-bent on the end of times. Make no mistake, this is not a drill. Some say the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 is the closest we have come to a nuclear catastrophe. But at least then, JFK and Nikita Khrushchev were in communication. In our current crisis, our leaders are not even talking to each other. We human beings must communicate with each other if we are to survive. We here in the West are drowning in a sea of pro-war propaganda, and presumably the Russians are too. How are we, the people, to make sense in this maelstrom of misinformation? Support antiwar.com. And he said that in all caps with six explanation points. So he's serious about it. The powers that be, our masters, the self-appointed ruling class, want to keep us squabbling at each other's throats to be used as cannon fodder or slave labor. When a great journalist and truth teller like Julian Assange is in prison for sharing vital information, the time has come to man the barricades, to, san- to stand shoulder to shoulder with our, all of our brothers and sisters all over the world in defense of our beautiful planet home. As I told the audience on every night of my recent tour of the United States, Canada, and Mexico, we will never sell out. We, and here I include my brothers and sisters at antiwar.com, will keep speaking truth to power. Will you stand with me and support antiwar.com today? Let's remember what is important in this life. The time is now. This is not a drill. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, you should listen to him and go support antiwar.com. I love that he mentioned Julian Assange. All right. Next one here, the U.S. says that Russia has begun nuclear drills. So Russia has notified the U.S. that it it has started its nuclear exercises, two U.S. officials said on Tuesday. So this Pentagon spokesman, Brigadier General Patrick Ryder, told reporters, quote, Russia is complying with its arms control obligations and its transparency commitments to make those notifications, end quote. So he's saying... uh, you know, what Russia did, they're being transparent and good and everything. Uh, but Russia is holding its annual Grom exercises. I believe that translates to thunder in English, Grom. And they will be held for so- several weeks. And the U.S. says that they will include the launching of nuclear-capable ballistic missiles. And the drills coincide with NATO's nuclear exercises, known as Steadfast Noon, that are being holded, hosted by Belgium and will be held o- over Belgium and the UK and the North Sea. Both exercises have been described as routine, but they come amid soaring tensions between the US and Russia over the potential use of nuclear weapons. President Biden recently warned that the risk of nuclear war, I just mentioned that in the article, I know we keep saying that, 
I'm definitely reading too much, writing too much about the risk of nuclear war. Um, and uh, it's just pretty concerning. Uh, but NATO's steadfast noon exercises, they do not involve live fire drills, but 14 alliance members are participating. And the US, France, and Britain are NATO's only nuclear armed powers, but five other alliance members host U.S. nuclear warheads under NATO's nuclear sharing program, and that's Belgium, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, and Turkey. So as I understand it, part of these drills is that these countries are practicing, simulating, carrying nukes, and dropping them. So even though only three NATO members have nukes, um, five more of them, a total of eight, I guess, would could possibly deliver them. All right, the next one here. Russia raises dirty bomb allegations at UN Security Council. So Russia brought its allegations that Ukraine is preparing to use an explosive mixed with nuclear material known as a dirty bomb to the nuclear to the uh, sorry to the UN Security Council on Tuesday. Russia's deputy ambassador to the UN said he was happy that Moscow brought the issue to the UN Security Council despite the criticism from the West. Um. And Ukraine and its Western backers are saying that Russia is lying about the accusation and Western officials have said Russia has not shown any evidence to back up the claim. And when asked about this lack of evidence, uh, Polonetsky, he's the Russian deputy ambassador to the UN, he said that Russia had shared intelligence on the issue with the West. And Sergei Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, he recently spoke with a few uh, of his sorry, of his uh, Russian, uh, sorry, of his Western counterparts and Russian media said that they discussed this this dirty bomb allegation. So also on Tuesday, Ukraine turned the accusation around and claimed that Russia was working on a dirty bomb at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which has been under Russian control since March. Ukraine's state nuclear operator made the claim, didn't offer any evidence, and only said that it assumes Russia is preparing um, something like that at the Zaporizhia plant. And this plant had been the site of frequent shelling since it's been under Russian control. Ukraine has blamed the incidents on Russia, but Moscow has a little reason to attack a nuclear plant that it controls and is now part of a territory that Moscow considers Russia. It's part of the territories that Putin annexed. And the International Atomic Energy Agency said Monday that it's sending inspectors to two locations in Ukraine where Russia alleged work is being done to create a dirty bomb. So the IAEA says they're going to these locations and they said that it's being done at the request of Ukraine. So I guess Russia made the claim and Ukraine said, come, come check it out, see for yourself. So who knows? I mean, like I said yesterday, Russia is really harping on this and, and they're not dropping it. Um, and now you have Ukraine accusing Russia of something similar. So it's definitely concerning. Um, so it's just something to keep an eye on. All right. What do we got here? The next one, the State Department threatens to use nuclear weapons against North Korea. Deputy Secretary of State, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute, and Wendy Sherman, the Deputy Secretary of State, said that the U.S. would be willing to deploy its nuclear weapons to defend its allies against North Korea. She said the U.S., quote, will use the full range of U.S. defense capabilities to defend our allies, including nuclear, conventional, and missile defense capabilities, end quote. 
So she said this during a meeting with South Korean and Japanese officials. And she said that the U.S. security commitment to South Korea and Tokyo is ironclad. Um, so this just comes as, you know, uh, tensions are just really high on the Korean Peninsula. And so you have Wendy Sherman saying something like this. And Kyle points out that Kamala Harris was just in South Korea calling for the denuclearization of the of North Korea. So when you have U.S. officials making threatening comments about using nuclear weapons, I mean, and you're trying to get them to get rid of their nukes, it just doesn't seem like a good strategy. And they've conducted just, there's been a lot of missile tests, a lot of war games between the U.S. and South Korea. Um, nothing seems to be giving in that uh, area there. Uh, all right. Uh, I, we put one up from the South China Morning Post that says China's Taiwan timetable will not be rushed by the U.S. And it quotes uh, a lot of Chinese analysts basically that say, you know, we've been I've been covering it. All these U.S. officials claiming that that China is um ready to invade Taiwan on a, on a shorter timetable. But th this is basically saying it, it doesn't matter what the U.S. is saying, like, and it, it doesn't matter what the U.S. is saying about this. And what was interesting is that one of the officials, I forget his name, but he was a high-level U.S. Navy official. He said his, his judgment was based on what China was saying. He said, oh, they always do what they say. Well, if you look at, at what China's saying, at what Xi Jinping's been saying, he hasn't said anything about a timetable. I believe his their plan is is reunification, as they call it, reunification by 2049. And Xi Jinping has said, um, basically just reiterated a longstanding policy that China seeks peaceful reunification, but they don't rule out the use of force. And the only thing that I think will speed up potential Chinese military action, which probably won't come in the form of, of an invasion, it would probably be a blockade, is more U.S. support for Taiwan. And that's what uh, we're seeing happen. And, and senators are looking to give them $10 billion in military aid. So I think stuff like that will, could, could speed up, potentially speed up the timeline. But it's not for the reasons that American officials are saying. And the South China Morning Post is good because, you know, they quote these Chinese analysts that work at, that are in China, that just have their, it seems like they have a very good idea of what the Chinese government is thinking. A lot of them are former officials. All right, so the last one here, the U.S. launches another airstrike in Somalia and says two Al-Shabaab fighters were killed. So on Tuesday, U.S. Africa Command said that it launched an airstrike in Somalia against Al-Shabaab on Sunday as President Biden continues to escalate the U.S. air war in the country. AFRICOM said the strike took place near the vicinity of Bulobard, if I said that right. It's a city in Somalia's central Haran region, where there has been heavy fighting between the U.S.-backed Mogadishu-based government and Al-Shabaab. Uh, in recent weeks, recent months, there's, they've been fighting a lot in that region. AFRICOM said that its initial assessment found that two Al-Shabaab fighters were killed and claimed that the strike was launched as Al-Shabaab was attacking the government forces. The strike came after President Biden issued a guidance changing the U.S.'s drone strike policy. So under this new guidance that Biden ordered, strikes outside of Iraq and Syria need presidential approval. They need to be signed off by the White House. But there's a major loophole in this new policy. If the strike can be justified as being launched in self-defense, 
of the U.S. or a partner force, then it doesn't need to be signed off by the White House. And the strike on Sunday, like most recent U.S. operations in Somalia, likely fell under this justification because they said al-Shabaab was attacking. In previous press releases, AFRICOM said that it was there done in defense of uh, the Somali government forces. So I'm sure that Biden is not personally signing off on these airstrikes. And Sunday's strike, it marked the second reported by AFRICOM in Somalia this month. U.S. airstrikes in Somalia did significantly decrease when President Biden first came into office, but they have escalated since he ordered the deployment of 500 troops to the country back in May. AFRICOM has claimed no civilians were killed in its recent operations in Somalia, but always important to point out that the Pentagon is notorious for undercounting civilian casualties, especially in Somalia, where U.S. operations are shrouded in secrecy. And I linked to an article from Nick Terse about that, who is really uh, the authority on all things. AFRICOM, Special Ops, um, we had a viewpoint from him on yesterday's page that was very good about uh, AFRICOM operations and things like that, if you want to check that out. But that's it for me for today for the news. I hope, uh, you know, that wasn't too depressing. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it feels pretty bleak. But um, again, please help us with our fundraiser, antiwar.com slash donate. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Tell your friends about the show. Share it around. You could also listen to the audio version where you, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on Rumble and Odyssey if you want to watch the video on there. All the links are in the descriptions. Uh, but that's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with more news. Um, thanks for listening.